Welcome to Church in the North, a podcast by ministry leaders and for ministry leaders. I'm your host, Rob Chartrand, Program Coordinator for Christian Ministry at Briarcrest College. And I'm joined by my co-host, Jeff Dresser, Assistant Professor of Worship Arts. Say hello, Jeff. Hey, Rob. And back in the studio, Dan Goddard, Lead Pastor of Victory Church in Moose Jaw. Hello, Dan. Hello. Good to be back. Well, it's good to be back together with the three amigos. Yeah. Uh, Hey, uh, Dan, you were away, and you were doing a lot of crazy adventuring. So what was going on? What were you doing for the last couple of weeks? Yeah, we had an epic father-daughter adventure, 10 days or so, and uh, had a lot of fun. We went through the States, so 3,000 kilometers in the States, and wow. uh, did Zion National Park, Great Basin National Park, which is a pretty cool place most people haven't heard of. And then another place called Yosemite, which should be a little more well-known. So, yeah, we had a lot of fun. Did a lot of hiking, actually. So I'm not a, not, haven't historically been a huge hiker, but my daughter loves it. So we, we went after it, did over 100 kilometers wow. of hiking in uh, whatever days there, nine days or eight days. So what was like your longest hike or your hardest hike? We did our, our longest one was about, well, our hardest hike, I'll tell you that one. It's about 12 miles upriver in a place called the Narrows in, wow. uh, yeah, at Zion National Park. Worth going to. So if people get a chance to head to, to Zion. And then we actually got drawn for a lottery to go on another hike called Angel's Landing, which was super cool. It's like a, a cliff on either side of you on a narrow pathway, and you got to okay. hang on to chains and climb up. And yeah, yeah pretty So wild. you lost the lottery and had to go on that? <laughs> <Was> that? <laughs> Honestly, I wouldn't have gone without uh, without my daughter. She's pretty courageous and loves that stuff. And uh, I just put my head down, focused on the path, tried wow. not to look down the cliff on either side. Yeah. Well, wow, 11 or 12 miles, like what's that in kilometers? Like 20? Like it's Almost 20. Yeah. yeah wow, around that's a half case. marathon. Like a yeah, hike. yeah, exactly. Yeah, wow, that's huge. Wow. So we would we fell asleep exhausted at our campsite every night. Like it was eight o'clock bedtime. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> and then you wake up at five or six and go again. Wow. Yeah. 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 So what's wow. it like being in back in Saskatchewan after all that adventure? You know what? Uh, it's a little bit boring. I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, you wonder because it was just packed adventure every day. Um, and you know what? My daughter is a real godly young lady. She's actually heading on the mission field. That was part of the motivation was to spend okay. some time with her before she heads yeah. on the mission field here. And and uh, so it was really fun that way, too. We got lots of great conversation mm-hmm. in. And she's really into, like, the early church fathers and, and um, some contemplative Christianity yeah, stuff. Yeah, and yeah. I really enjoy that. So we had lots of fun talks about that. And wow. Yeah, it was it was a real special time. Wow. So. Yeah, good yeah. for you guys. Yeah, good to have that moment. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to turn the page away from that to uh, a much more serious matter. Let's talk about Taylor Swift. Um, oh, good. <laughs> Taylor Swift's concert tour opened up uh, in, in this last week. It's her Eras tour, her Eras tour, and it's. I, I was doing the the math on it, and apparently she's earned ninety six million dollars in this three-day debut and that's only in domestic theaters but in the in the global that's 32 million so like that's like a hundred million dollars just this weekend and apparently it's the highest grossing concert film domestically for an opening weekend um and it she broke bieber's old record back in like uh, i don't know 2011 73 million so wow. bieber fever has ended and swifty is on the rise so the question uh, guys, can you name any Taylor Swift songs? 
What Taylor Swift songs do you guys know? Do you know any? Uh, there is it Shake It Off or Yeah. So there's the, that that's the one that that I know. Okay. Yeah. You know, honestly, I can't even name a single one. It's pretty bad. Yeah. But I, I would probably recognize one or two if you played it and said that's Taylor. I probably wouldn't know it was her. Yeah. But if you yeah, yeah. I'd be like, Oh, I think I've heard that before. Yeah. Subway? Okay. Wendy's? Does it play? <laughs> Yeah, well, my my oldest daughter is a huge Taylor Swift fan. Like, she's like buying the albums, the re the re release of the albums as they're coming out, and, okay. and like you know, tangible hard copies of it, not just the digital versions of it. Um, so, yeah, there's been a lot of Swift in our house over the years, um, and we are never, never, ever getting back together. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that about my daughter, but uh, okay. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, pastors and Taylor Swift, uh, can a pastor be a Swifty and still maintain his or her credibility? Like, can, can you be a Swifty? You, you know, I would relegate that to like Romans 14. Uh <laughs> <laughs> it's a disputable matter. Yeah, disputable matter. Yeah. Probably conscience, yeah. and uh, you wouldn't want to be too judgmental on one side. Yeah, or, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you don't certainly don't want it to be idolatry, right? <laughs> For sure. Yeah, yeah. So you can eat the meat sacrificed idols, but just not, you know, partake of the idols, right? So yeah, you can exactly. you, you can listen to Taylor Swift and and whatnot, but you can't worship Taylor Swift. That's the maybe the defining mark. But I mean, do you tell do you tell your congregation, "Hey, I'm a Swifty"? How, how does that work? Well, I, I here's where I stand on on Taylor Swift. Like, I, <laughs> I I I know that one song, and I don't listen to any of the other stuff. But I admire the fact that, like, she's not just a s- singer pop star. She's like Taylor Swift Inc. Right, and she has like with her music has captured the uh, get ready for this the zeitgeist, <laughs> and, and um, but also then had the, sort of the business acumen and wherewithal to put together a corporation, yeah, right, that, yeah. to capitalize on that, and, and still somehow like by all appearances maintain some type of sanity, yeah. Uh, I mean that that's amazing in, in a, a hyper competitive field. Like there's so many people who want to be able yeah, to do that, yeah. and she has accomplished that and had a a really long run. Like we look at, you know, you mentioned Justin Bieber. Well, mm-hmm. he's uh, like he's on the downslope of his career at this point. Right. And but Taylor Swift has had a really long run as the as the top you know pop artist in the world. So that's. That is impressive. Yeah, and you know, and, and I, what I appreciate is she she hasn't like sold out in order to sell more. Like in terms of like some pop artists will um, try and get more raunchy or, or go in a certain direction or whatnot because I don't know if that's going to sell more records or they're having a life change. She's pretty consistent uh, for the most part. She just dates guys, breaks up, dates guys, breaks up. <laughs> well, and, and I actually think that okay, I'm speaking about matters that. I know very little, but I, I'm not going to let ignorance uh, stop me from uh, from sharing. Well, I, I'm not because I don't. I only know like one song, so. Right. But I do. Uh, I think that part of like the, you know, her lack of success in relationships is part of her appeal. Yeah. Okay. And, and I mean, she's currently dating Travis Kelsey. Yeah. And I, I can't wait for 
for them to break up. I think that's going to be really – I think that will be really interesting because of the way the NFL has sort of capitalized on this. Like, And Swift fans are now buying Travis Kelsey jerseys. Yeah, yeah. How are they all going to react when this relationship goes down in flames? That, yeah. that, I think that's going to be fascinating. No comment. I have nothing, nothing to say on this topic. It has been interesting to watch. Um, yeah, worlds colliding. The NFL and Taylor Swift. Yeah, and what a coincidence <clears throat> that that she got all this publicity from this relationship right before her movie came out. I like, know. whoa! I like know. That's right. That's so lucky that that happened to her. She is a smart businesswoman. Like she is so smart. Um, it may be coincidence. Uh, October is Pastor Appreciation Month. Wow, um, we're, we're shifting gears a lot. I know, this. right? Uh, yeah, Boom. That's good. So, yeah, so whiplash. <laughs> whiplash. So get your pastor some Taylor Swift. Tennis. That's right. That's yeah. right. Uh, yeah. um, so the second Sunday in October, which was this last Sunday, which has gone okay. past, yeah. it was Clergy Appreciation Day. So that's uh, October 14th. And um, I, I did a little background reading on this because I... I was wondering, like, who sure. came up with this idea? Like, yeah. was this a was this a Hallmark moment? Like, did Hallmark come up with this just to make more money and have produce be able to produce more cards? I mean, who comes up with these national days anyway? Like, mm -hmm. somebody come mm -hmm. up with an idea and uh, anyway. So, what's the history? Uh, well, it was established 1992 with a mission of uplifting and encouraging pastors, missionaries, and religious workers. That's all I got. Okay. So, uh, does your church do anything to on Pastor Appreciation Month? Is, it, is that yeah. a practice? Yeah, we do. Yeah, well, we. we uh, one of our board will usually share a little bit with the church and just uh, encourage the church to say something nice or do something nice. This this year, actually, our 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 board member asked the congregation to kindly laugh at my jokes. It oh. was. Uh, <laughs> It's very, very gracious of them. Yeah. So uh, I can't wait for November. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be quiet in the house. Yeah. It's going to be really quiet. Crickets. We really ought not to encourage him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they, they do that. And, uh, and various people say nice things, send nice notes. And yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, a, it's a great thing. And honestly, it's a good chance for me. I think of all the pastors I know and just how much I appreciate them. Yeah. A lot of them are heroes to me. I'm just plugging away in difficult places and serving the Lord. And mm. uh, I think mm. it's good to pause and appreciate. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Jeff, your title is pastor. Uh, does that include you? Are you including, are people laughing at your jokes? Uh, well, my jokes are funny, so that's a different matter. <laughs> um, the uh, Yeah, I'm included and I've received uh, cards and even, uh, even the odd little uh, card with a bit of cash in it as well. Um, so yeah, tangible expressions of uh, appreciation, and I'm not I'm not trolling for these church if you're looking right? like, <laughs> like I'm not, uh, but um, but yeah, I, I it is nice to be uh, to be appreciated, and it's a, I think it's a great idea because uh, it just prompts people to express you know gratitude that they feel all the time, but it's a it's a great reminder, and I'll tell you as a pastor. You, I mean, one encouraging card you mm. can uh, th that can sort of fuel you for a uh, for quite a while. So mm. yeah, I think it's a great mm. thing. Yeah, the the last three churches I've been in, so that would be in the last like twenty years. Yeah. They they didn't didn't do it. You know, no, no encouragement. Say anything about it? Um, oh no, well, we were encouraged okay. in many ways by many people, but um, and 
but nobody like no elders ever right. did something like that or whatnot. And I had heard about it. I didn't hear about it until like twelve years ago or something when I was planting the church. But I was like, do I bring this to the attention? Right. You yep. know, because I'm really not one that wants the exactly. It is like, awkward publicly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's. Um, and I don't want to be on a platform and I don't, you know, and so part yeah. of me is like, oh, maybe it's good that they don't say anything. Um, but yet there were a few members in our congregations, like they knew about it. And so sure. kind of quietly, they, you know, send cards and notes of encouragement, and, okay. uh, sometimes yep. a gift and whatnot. And you're like, oh, well, that's actually kind of nice. And I mean, it's very biblical, right? The elders who serve exactly. among, exactly. well among you are worthy of double, prayer, you know, and especially those who gift of teaching. Like, yeah. honor those who serve yeah. well among you. That's, that's very, very and those biblical. Those are even for pastors, difficult passages to preach, right? It's yeah. like, so let's get to application here, you know? Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. You know, I love the stories. So I, I, I love just hearing this influ- impacted my life, mm. what you, you know, what you mm. shared here or how you prayed for me here or, you know, those yeah, kind of things. Yeah, I yeah. think those are really powerful, especially written. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can kind of hang on to that or yeah. give that a read. I think those are nice. And honestly, anything, anything, a, a gift, uh, uh, like uh, a gift card, all of those things. Any, anything to say I appreciate you is a blessing. Yeah. 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 Jeff? Yeah. I mean, I th- I think like I have a, a file folder with, with cards and notes of appreciation yeah. o- over all my years of ministry that, yeah. and so those, those things are, I think what lasts with me. Like I, I appreciate the Starbucks card or, or the other, the other gift, but, uh, you know, I just use those up and then, you know, that's it. But, uh, but those cards and those notes, um, of someone expressing how God used, uh, God used me to, to minister to them. Those are what really I think what really lasts and what are really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got one of those file folders as well. Actually, a couple of them because they just get so yeah. thick, and then you just shoebox them eventually because you don't know where to put all yeah. that stuff. But go back. Well, I, I, I never got that many, so I, I, I'm not <laughs> that problem. I, I also keep the nasty ones too because because uh, they they become funny, uh, you know, with time. <laughs> with time. <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> so do you print off the nasty emails then? Is that? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, no, we used to get <laughs> anonymous comment cards. Was uh, we, we used to get at uh, at my one of my previous churches. So so there were some there were some pretty good ones. Yeah, especially for the worship pastor. I yep, can imagine. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's one thing I haven't kept. I'll just be honest <laughs> yeah. there. I, yeah, when when I get anonymous uh, critique, uh, I give it an honest read. But then yeah, uh, yeah, you want to do that for sure. Then I yeah self reflect. It gets filed away pretty quick into a file that I don't uh, see cir- anymore. The circular file? Yes, indeed. We call it file number 13. Yeah, yeah it's going into <laughs> file number 13 yeah. right there on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Well, this, uh, this week on the podcast, we have Phil Collins. Uh, not to be confused with the rock star Phil Collins, but Phil Collins, the lead pastor of Willow Park Church in Kelowna, British Columbia. And... Uh, we're going to be talking about his adventurous hiking excursions. Uh, so, nice. Yeah, That's you, exciting. You know about that, Dan. Yeah. Uh, his prayer retreats and church renewal and a whole lot more. So I am thankful for this conversation and I hope our listeners uh, can gain a lot from it. Very good. Thanks for uh, coming into the studio this morning, guys. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to have on the podcast today, Phil Collins. He is the lead pastor of Willow Park Church in Kelowna. Uh, Phil, welcome to the Church in the North podcast. 
Thank you. It's good to be here with you. Nice to see you again, Rob. <laughs> yeah, you as well. It's been a while. <laughs> hey, uh, I, I want to let our listeners know a little bit about your story. I think it's important that they uh, get to know a little bit of the background on you. So um, let's go back to uh, your first start in ministry, back to those early days. How did you get started in ministry? Well, I was mentored by an evangelist who um, came to our church and and I ended up traveling with him, carrying his books, listening to his numerous endless sermons. It was fabulous. It was a really good way. I traveled around Britain, went to Canada, went to the States with him, then worked at my father's and my grandfather's furniture factory in between hmm. to earn enough money to travel. And then I was grabbed by Youth for Christ when I was about 19, 20, and I became over the next decade, decade and a half, a Youth for Christ national evangelist, hmm. creative teams, outreaches, and citywide missions. So then I ended up pastoring in a church that I got saved in. I'd always been part of that church became a CEO of a mission agency. And at 44, I moved to Kelowna, British Columbia, to the wonderful Willow Park Church. Wow. I mean, that's that's uh, that's quite a journey uh, from street preacher to pastor and then to end up in Canada. I, I think I can remember the early days of when I first met you. I was, I think I was about 19 or 20 and uh, yeah. I was going to a small Bible college in Eston, Saskatchewan, and you came into a kind of like a youth drop-in center. It might have been in Swift current and uh you were one of the preachers there was a whole lot of drama going on i can't remember if you were working with some organization with life force or street invaders but uh that was quite some time ago um and uh now you've made your way to canada um you are pastoring in Kelowna, british columbia good choice on the selection by the way uh a lot warmer than Thank most you. places in canada <laughs> but wh why don't you talk to us a little bit about that? How, how does a like a, a Pentecostal, charismatic background street preacher end up at a Mennonite Brethren Church in Kelowna, British Columbia? Well, of course, it wasn't just any Mennonite Brethren Church. It was <laughs> quite a progressive, um, outreaching, multi-site. It had strong links historically to Willow Creek when... Uh, that was a massive thing in terms of uh, outreach and leadership. So it felt I was coming into a contemporary, dynamic, um, a kind of contemporary dynamic church. And, and there was a good mm -hmm. synergy in those, those kind of times and that interview that, uh, that took place, a really good sense of to you know, yes, this church is, is serious about mission, about evangelism. And remember, I got converted in a, a quite a tight evangelical church, a kind of Plymouth Brethren. Right, so, right. And I'd worked with Youth for Christ, so I'd learned to always appreciate the vastness of the body of Christ, the diversity. I worked with Anglicans, Baptists, Pentecostals, uh, Methodists, everybody Youth of Christ works with. So I used to, it didn't feel 
too big of a jump, to be honest. And the church had a heart for prayer and had a heart for evangelism. And mm. that was fantastic. Yeah. So obviously it was, it was, it was a good fit. Um, how, how did you hear about the, the church in, in Kelowna? Like did, uh, how was that brought to your attention? You know how God drops things in your heart. I was 19 and God dropped something into my heart hmm. that I would end up in British Columbia pastoring. Weird. Hmm. It's one of those signs that make you wonder, like, really? Um, but when I married Shell, we, um, she was not interested in coming. Hmm. And so we pastored our first church in England, the church I got saved in as a rebellious wild teenager and and it took 11 years for the holy spirit to directly speak to her and say let's let's go um because that's a big jump and we were very yep. happy where we were and she had been to edmonton when we on our honeymoon not actually the honeymoon but the year of our honeymoon and i took her to Edmonton in February and it was minus 40 and she said really <laughs> you want to move here so um but yeah one night the Lord just spoke to her and to us that it was time to move and time to take that step and a friend of mine from Grand Prairie said you should check out Willow Park they have um hmm. they they they're always looking for campus pastors and and I did, and instantly, boom, hmm. something hit our hearts, and we knew that this was in the providential plan. And at hmm. the end, wow. if I hadn't ended up at Willow Park, I think I'd still be in England because it became hmm. the calling to the church and the assignment rather than to um, even to the, the country, I guess. But it was a very strong calling. Wow. So what, what year was that, Phil? How, how long have you been serving at, uh, at Willow Park? 14 years. Okay. 14 wow. Years. That's a good run. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I think longevity brings strength and stability. And of course, mm. I had to lead through a whole range of changes and COVID. So I feel like I'm just beginning again at this moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your your church is uh, is multi site. There's several campuses. Um, so, why don't we talk about that for a little bit? When when did your church become multi site? And um, maybe talk to us about how that all works together with your church. Uh, are your campuses similar? Are they different? The church became multi site before I ever was here kind of the early um, 2000s, it was out of mm -hmm. necessity because the the main campus only really seats 750 and, and they were exceeding that and they had gone to, you know, four or five services of varying mm. sizes, but it was yeah. great. It was booming. It was after the 2003 fires, uh, there was a different feel in the city and the church. So it was necessity. And they mm. went for a very, you know, good model, uh, which was Cutty Cooker approach of recreating Willow Park in different places all over the city. So basically that 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 spot 
they could have the Willow Park experience uh, yeah. anywhere yeah. in the city. So that's how it mm. happened. And, and I came into that. So since then, um, have you, have you retained that model or have you uh, changed it up a little bit? Well, there was, when I arrived, there was already the, you know, the, the shift had happened. I mean, the previous pastor, Mark Birch was, you know, a genius. He's brilliant and, Mm -hmm. and, and so gifted. And, and yet there was a, there was a resistance uh, uh, when I arrived. And I think, you know, uh, people felt it at this era towards having somebody preaching on a screen. And there was a real sense, we, we, we need to change the model. So when I right. came in, the model had already started to change dramatically. And coming from the European experience, Basically, we we developed a model of campuses that were joined together by budget, joined together by values and mission, and joined together by staff togetherness. And yet each campus could create its own strategy for its outreach and evangelism. There was a shift at that Hmm. point 14 years ago to be missional and relational and local. So okay. I kind of flowed with that. Yeah. So does that mean then uh, your teaching is, does that incorporate video still, or is it all uh, primarily uh, campus pastors doing the preaching? How do you guys work that out? No, it's predominantly it's campus pastors doing the preaching. Hmm. Okay, so how do, how do you how do you um, how do you guys work that out at your end? I know there's different ways of doing it, but uh, do you have a te- te- team te- teaching team, or do you have a curriculum? Um, how do you guys do you give them you know independent messages? They can do whatever they want. How do you work that out uh, in such a way that it preserves kind of like the DNA of of Willow Park? Yes, I guess we do. Ha- of course, have a teaching team which are made mm-hmm. up of the campus pastors and we agree the curriculum the direction uh all of our pastors have been through kind of our spiritual mentoring about what is important to us what our values Mm -hmm. are and what our message is so even though there is freedom to go off script if you like and even preach a series that is different at different times for the need of that community Okay. Um, we we have so ingrained our kind of spiritual and philosophical approach that um, that there's 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 a good level of unity between us. Hmm. Hmm. Well, and I, I suppose every campus pastor needs a break as well, so they're going to have some some pinch hitters coming in to um, to preach at their campuses as well. Um, do they do those folks uh, those other preachers come into the team teaching meeting or do you just allow the local campus to work it out yeah there's uh, we allow them i mean generally the preachers that we use are within our own network not always yeah. of course and usually they're in line with what's happening or preachers within the campuses so we yeah. encourage to develop that 
And we're blessed with, you know, uh, quite a number of retired pastors who just love what we're doing mm. and the kind of emphasis that we have. So they they come into line. I mean, vast majority of our staff are in mentoring and church renewal mentoring. So mm-hmm. we uh, we feel very unified with how we with our communication and what we're about. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, you know, one of the one of the criticisms of of the multi site model is is it can be very um, leader centered uh, with one core leader as the preacher, right? And and that that puts it in a place of vulnerability. But uh, it sounds like you uh, at Willow Park are, are working really hard to develop local preachers and uh, a team of preachers. Yes. I think we are trying to, it sounds better than, you put it better than than probably uh, than the reality. It's always a, for all of us, you know, getting that balance between the primary communicators and others yeah. and writing people is a balance. But I think we're, we're definitely moving in the right direction for kind of body... Yeah. Yeah, it's aspirational at least, and uh, um, on your best weeks, th- those are the stories we tell. And then on the worst weeks, we just kind of keep quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We we believe our own first Facebook posts. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, uh, you you uh, have an interesting lifestyle. I mean, if anyone follows you on social media. Um, you spend a lot of time running and, and hiking. And I mean like a lot of times. Um, so, uh, you do things that most men, uh, your age, um, or my age wouldn't normally do. So I want to dive into that for a bit. Um, how do you, how do you do your spare time? What do you, what do you, what do you do for fun, Phil? Yeah, I, I, well, I, for fun, of course I love to ski but I do love to hike and I do love to, to run marathons and I've done ultra marathons badly. And I'm very, (laughs) um, like this morning, this weekend, I spoke nine times, uh, because we had a retreat, Mm. uh, set free retreat. And I am the, uh, the communicator for that. So this morning I got up, did a long cup of coffee and then, Mm -hmm. Just hit the trail and did 10K and um, mm. and got regenerated, excited and reinvigorated to be um, to be on your podcast. So, yeah, but <laughs> the truth is, the truth is, Rob, this all started for me when I was young. My granddad used to take me out on long walks through the Worcestershire mm. countryside in the kind of same kind of words and landscape that Tolkien used to walk in. And in fact, I used to sleep in small old caves where probably Tolkien got his idea about the Hobbit cave from. Hmm. And, hmm. and, and I found that to deal with stress in my younger years that I would walk. The Romans had a saying, uh, you can solve any problem if you walk farther enough. Mm. And, and and when I was in my kind of mid to late 20s, I was preaching all over Britain. I was 
on planes and preaching at United Youth events. And I guess I had a profile, but I was, I had lost contact with the Lord. Mm. And I took a pen and I wrote in my diary, in my planner, the first Wednesday of every month, I would go on a prayer walk and spend a mm. day away with God. And I yeah. did that for 20 years. Hmm. And and that changed my life. And it combined two things, my love of walking and adventure and my desire to walk and to talk to the Lord. And so I I just I just did this religiously. And I hmm. every every month it was uh, eight hours away, uh, 10, 15 miles of walking stopping at small cafes to journal and have a bacon sandwich, going to a pub lunch and, and sitting in a 1,000-year-old parish church to, mm-hmm. um, to meditate for an hour every time I did it. And it grew out of that day away with God that Rob changed my life. And then mm-hmm. I started jogging because I was – unhealthy because of the lifestyle. I I say that my soul was greasy with too much Indian food, fish and chips and fast food from being on the road all the time. And I'd lost connection with the Lord. And so Mm. I had to do something or I'd burn out and be out of ministry. And that's what saved me. Hmm. Well, bacon sandwiches and lingering in pubs at noon hour probably didn't help either. (laughs) (laughs) It was good though. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, um, I, I just, I, so much of that resonates with me when, when I was living in Edmonton, like twice a year, I would take a retreat and I'd go to Jasper and I'd, I'd find like the cheapest hotel I could find online. And I'd, hole up in the room. And in the morning, I would spend the whole morning just in quiet contemplative prayer. And then in the afternoon, I would just go hike for hours and hours and hours. And then I come back to a coffee shop and I journal and, and then the evening was just kind of relaxation. So I do this three, three day retreat a couple of times a year. And I just, my soul just needed it. I mean, if I, if I didn't do that, I, I just felt stretched so thin, uh, in, in ministry. Um, so there, yes. there is a deep connection between walking and running and, and prayer. Um, have you found that? Oh, completely. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, on my 50th birthday, I went to the Chicoltans, you know, uh, in northern BC by Bella Coola. And it's mm-hmm. where one of the Alone episodes was, was shot. I don't know if you watch alone. You know, I do. The, I uh, love it. My wife and I have discovered it recently and uh, yeah, we can't get enough of it. <laughs> we could talk for hours about that, but I, I, sorry, keep going. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm with you on that, but I, I went and I spent seven days in a small cabin on a lake and was dropped off by a float plane wow. and just me alone with God. So I've sort of done adventures like that, where there's been the West Coast Trail. I just in June did a 300 kilometer prayer walk across Britain from Mm. um, the Irish Sea, where St. Bede's, um, all the way across to Robin Hood's Bay through 
the three national parks, the Lake District, the Yorkshire Dales, the North Yorkshire Moors. And that was, um, yeah, that was amazing and mm. absolutely um, loved combining that rhythm of walking and praying. And, of course, you know, a full English breakfast every morning in each of the hostels that I stayed mm. in. But the Lord mm. met me on those mountains and refreshed me and spoke to me. And I think my congregation are sick of me telling stories about from my my 10-day trek across Britain. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we live in a culture of uh, such, you know, busyness, information, content, um, distraction. Um, do, do you find it difficult? I mean, living in this culture and then suddenly finding yourself, say, in a cabin in the woods for seven days with absolute silence? Uh, not difficult. Um, okay. I didn't. I found it incredibly moving and I experienced a level of emotion that I hadn't experienced before when I did that. And I will talk about I mean, that when you, when you cry in the, when you cry out in prayer in the wilderness and literally nobody can hear you scream, hmm. um, you, you know, it was, it was very emotional. What came up was was grief um, mm. because we, we, we pushed so much away in our lives. But when I was alone and silent with the Lord for that time and just alone and silent with myself, uh, I did see um, things and emotions and battles bubble mm -hmm. to the surface. And, and I um, certainly the, the, the aloneness and the quiet, you did some serious. And you see that in a secular way in the life of, um, of those who are on the History Channel alone yeah. series. Yeah. Some of them can't last two days because fear grabs them. Others of them who have a more contemplative, prayerful approach, a more philosophical approach, you know, last, last the length. Um, so yeah, I, I connected with a deeper part of my soul in a way that I hadn't done or rarely have done. It was powerful. Yeah. 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 I, I think we, we can often think that solitude is just going to be this, um, blissful, joyful experience. But when Christ went into the wilderness, he count encountered the enemy of his soul and encountered the devil, right? So yeah, solitude will often, you are confronted with um, sometimes your dark side, which you're able to kind of tuck away in the midst of distraction. But um, when you're in the wilderness, there's, there's no posturing. There's nobody, you know, unless you're out there taking selfies, which you really shouldn't be. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing except you and yourself and God and well, spiritual forces, I guess, too. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's a different experience. I, I've really fostered uh, being a very extrovert individual and kind of an evangelist in my. Yeah. Uh, I'm a I'm a strange mix because I'm a pastor because I love people, 
and pastorally traveling with people. And But I am an evangelist, so I have this weird mixed gift. But hmm. I have fostered a contemplative, deep, meditative practice within my life now. And it's not unusual for me to contemplate or to meditate for an hour a day at the moment. Um, mm. And and that's why that by meditation, I mean, you know, of course, I'm, the beauty of Christian meditation, which is taking scripture or taking a phrase or taking, you know, I've, 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 I've stepped into memorization is a big part of my my spiritual discipline and memorizing. Mm. Uh, so I memorized all the events of the books of Mark. And, and so I often sit and just think my way through the book of Mark, each mm. scene and pray about each scene, or I sit with a Psalm and I, you know, take that. And I, I think in terms of the stress of, of being a pastor, fostering a contemplative uh, walk is healing for our brains and healing mm. for our souls. And so yeah. much empirical re research about this anyway, but it's mainly to do with Eastern traditions, uh, yeah. Buddhism. Um, of course, I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the ancient Christian practices of the desert fathers of being mm -hmm. and abiding in the presence of Jesus has yeah. changed my life, changed mm. it. Mm. So when you head off on these excursions, do you, do you have a plan that you, you know, you kind of set it up in advance and this is what I'm going to do or, um, or do you just go with the flow or is it somewhere in between where you're improvising? Uh, in the early days, because I've been doing this for 20 plus years, I would definitely follow a, a pattern. So my particular walk that I used to do, the first part of it would be definitely confession and praying about all the things I wanted to bring to the Lord. The second mm. part of the journey was very much about forgiveness because I wanted to you pick up a lot of rubbish when you're a pastor. And if you don't deal with the damage that you pick up, I'd, and, and our weapon is forgiveness and confession, mm -hmm. so I'd do forgiveness. Then I'd kind mm -hmm. of land at my little outdoor cafe on top of a hill, and they got to know me really, really well over 20 years, you know, if you like, over all those years. Yeah. And, um, and then I'd have my bacon sandwich and I'd journal. The next mm -hmm. part, I would then pray about my future, the dreams, the visions. And, and when you're young, <laughs> in your 30s, you've got a lot of vision um, and I, I, about my dreams and visions. And right. then uh, I would end up at the parish church and then I would sit for an hour in silence um, and then the last part was sort of as the spirit led. And so I mm. found that, that that has helped me going right the way back to learning to pray the Lord's prayer in six sections mm -hmm. and spending yeah. 10 minutes on each section gave me the ability to spend an hour a day praying. 
and it changed my life. So, mm. so I do, I did use that uh, system. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Good question. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a, that's a great pattern to follow, uh, you know, and, um, on, on my retreats, I, I typically, I had this book of prayer and at the back of it, it had, had but seven or eight different spiritual retreats that any kind of plans that you could go. I just found following a plan was far better for me than just kind of, you know, going and improvising and making up as I go along. And I tried that a couple of times and I came back just <clears throat> feeling like it was unproductive and unfruitful. Um, just following the whims of my own fancy or my mind. So I, I do think a framework is certainly helpful. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You're right. And there are so many good frameworks to look at and to follow. And, you know, uh, when you develop the discipline of writing and journaling mm -hmm. and, and you can discern what God has laid on your heart through journaling, that's an incredible gift to people who are carrying a lot in their lives like pastors um, to, to journal to pray, to listen, and to follow a format, uh, and to do exactly what you've done and, you know, going to Jasper. But the problem is you've got to keep it up. And, um, yeah. and now, now you're living in Brycrest, oh, you know, you're going to have to have winter walks and <laughs> really work hard at your discipline to find your way into a coolie or something to be alone with the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, brother, it is a challenge here, um, but I'm figuring it out. I'm figuring it out. There is an indoor walking uh, place, but if it's, listen, if it's 35, 40 below out and then it's windy, which it often is in Saskatchewan, I, it is just unmanageable. You can't go outside. <laughs> so uh, you do have to find a coulee or a community center where you can just walk and put on your headphones and try and zone out um that's probably the best bet or to try and hit the mountains i mean that's obviously an option too oh, you've inspired me again just with your little cheap hotel room prayer journal you know let's go for it i've got roots around Kelowna, which is what you see is is like walking mm -hmm. routes 10 mile routes and i'll go off and that's exactly what i'll do i'll i'll combine the things that i love with with praying to the lord yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, I mean, now this prayer value and impetus in your own life has certainly trickled down into the life of your church. And I think you've already shared your church was already prayerful before you got there. But um, the prayer and renewal movement that's uh, come out of Steinbeck has really played an important role in uh, in the life of your church. Uh, so why don't we talk about that for a bit? Um, how did that come about and 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 how is it bearing fruit in your church's life? Well, it was about, uh, oh gosh, maybe 12 years ago when I ended up um, being invited to come to meet a pastor, Ray Dirksen. And hmm. I was really amazed. Uh, this, uh, I mean, obviously Southland had grown from 150 people to 4,000. Yeah. And they yeah. had a prayer meeting with 1,500 people attending it. And they'd kept this prayer meeting going for years, yeah. every month. And 
And yet Ray himself is a great communicator, but he was such a humble man. And he was one of the rare people I had met who actually lived what he taught. He, he spent hours away with God alone. And I was, I was really touched by this. And he was mm. eager to start to mentor pastors in the principles he had learned in growing Southland to the size that it was. And so mm -hmm. I joined a mentoring group with him. There's me, another guy, maybe three of us. And we began just listening to him every week for one hour and just, you know, he would write material, he would share with us, he would show us stuff, he would write it. Mm. And we started implementing different areas. Some of it in those early days went well, some of it went badly. I made loads of mistakes. Mm. Uh, but, you know, 10 years on, we've got 2,000 pastors in mentoring. And we have, um, you know, 300, 400 in Canada. And every week for 32 weeks of the year, a pastor uh, comes online with a coach and we work through the materials. It's basically hmm. about being renewed as a pastor in your love and intimacy with Jesus. It's mm. about being transformed in your character through confession and through forgiveness and through grappling with those difficulties, those strongholds, and then about leading well in your church. So, mm. um, and, and, and so it's been a fabulous journey and, not without its bumps and difficulties at times, but it has, you know, this weekend I ran a set free weekend, which Ray okay. were, wrote. This is my 26th weekend teaching this material in my church. And to see the amount of changed lives has been amazing. Hmm. Um, and the prayer culture, uh, it's the hardest thing to build in a church, so most of us don't try yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. But to yeah. build true prayer culture is tough. But but uh, it's part of our our calling to do that. It's been amazing to see the change mm. in the pastors' lives and in my life through the journey. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you um, do a lot of the um, the practices that are involved in the Steinbeck, Steinbeck movements during your Sunday morning worship gatherings, or do you do it in a, in a different environment? Well, the practices are very much uh, about being, I mean, the practice may not be seen on a Sunday morning as much. Yeah. The practices, I'll give you an example. My board of elders, 12 of them, they're, they've grown so much in the Lord that if we go away for a prayer retreat, which we do every year, they will pray for five to eight hours. Hmm. I'm wow. serious. And hmm. we, will, we will look at the life of the church and we will write down all the needs. We will 
work out all the people that have been hurt or not. We'll confess sin. We'll ask for forgiveness. We'll pray God's blessing. That's the real shift. Yeah. You know, I go for every couple of months, I go with my chairman of the board for a day's prayer walk. And and we walk and we perhaps spend, last time we would spend four hours together. We walk, we talk, we pray together about the church, about his family. I think that's where you see the biggest change. You see the spiritual dimension that can be formed in a board and then in the staff. And in our job contracts, you know, with our pastors, we say, you know, we want you to take a retreat once a month and we want Mm. you to spend at least an hour a day in prayer every Mm. day as part of your job because you have to be praying and close to the Lord. They find it difficult to do, I'll be honest. So there are those (laughs) principles, there are lots of principles, but those principles of closeness of Christ is what we're trying to foster all the time. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's incredible because then it's, it's actually scripted right into the DNA of your church. I mean, even including job descriptions and that's almost permission giving. I mean, if pastors, you know, sometimes our work is so busy that we, we just find it difficult to pray. And sometimes we feel guilty to pray, which is ironic. Um, guilty to pray because yeah. we have so many pressing needs, but by making it a requirement, you're actually giving permission to your leaders to spend that time away. Yes. And I'll give you a quick example. I did a seminar for a mega church on how to spend a day away with God and do mm-hmm. this. And at the end of it, the senior pastor said, that's great. You can all do that, but on your own time. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But are we radical enough? Do our people in our church, when I say I've spent Wednesday away with God walking and praying, do they go, well, he should be working or do they feel inspired to go deep into Jesus themselves? I've never had any pushback from congregants when they Mm. hear that a pastor has gone away for a day in a month to seek the face of the Lord about the job that is it. They expect it, but we can get, mm. we can, we, we can lose that. Um, I don't know. People have different opinions. And I thought, Oh, okay. Yeah. So everything's awesome until that moment. You've got to, you're not really rely, releasing staff to, um, to excise because they, perhaps because people don't believe that they do it or they use it as a way of skiving off. The hardest thing we do, that's an English word, skiving. That means, you know, (laughs) uh, yeah, what would be a Canadian word for bunking off or something? I suppose that would be bunking off. That's another another non-Canadian word you're sharing there. Um, (laughs) Slacking off? Slacking? Sure. Yes. Give me another one. I don't know. We don't. It's hard, Prayer is the hardest thing we will ever do. It's the mm. hardest thing to build in your congregation. And for a pastor, it's the hardest thing. And, and when you start to move in the prayer realm, that's when the enemy attacks. That, you get attacks from every direction. So it is the hardest thing to do. 
Yeah. Well, and, and especially corporate prayer. I mean, most churches can probably attest to the, the reality that our prayer meetings are very, very small attended and it's half a dozen people praying before the service or half a dozen people on a Tuesday night. The faithful are there praying, but uh, for everyone else, there's their lives are very busy and um, the busy work seems to be what really gets the job done. Whereas in reality, it's the prayer room that um, really gets the job done. Well, I'll tell you a fact, and this is one of the church renewal principles. If the senior pastor isn't leading the prayer movement, then there'll never mm-hmm. be a prayer movement. Mm. So if you, yeah. it's kind of the Jim Simbola um, kind of um, yeah. idea, yeah. you know, I mean, that guy loves prayer. And mm-hmm. and I think it's that that people say to me, well, who leads the prayer ministry at your church? As if it's going to be some kind of prophetic individual in the corner that floats around. And I look them in the face and I say, I lead it. Hmm. I'm I'm the person. I'm at every prayer meeting. I am I lead the main prayer meetings because if 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 we delegate the responsibility to somebody or some group, it gets smaller and smaller until it evaporates. But if you hmm. put the message that the lead pastor is behind prayer, you know, I've hung out a bit with, I'm sure you'll interview him, Henry Shaw. I love Henry hmm. because actually he makes it his mission to be at every prayer meeting wow. and to be present. And I hmm. think, I think, I think the answer is, and in charismatic churches, this happened. And I, uh, you know, and Pentecostal churches, the pastor yeah. and not, says there's this group of people that are the prayer warriors. Then the prayer warriors end up being the group that are by fault leading the vision of the church through everything yeah. that they're yeah. hearing that God telling them. And the pastor is feeling the bang against the prayer people, because they're going, we should do this, we should do that, let's do this and bind this and do this. And the poor pastor is overwhelmed, and yet that's all wrong. The pastor should mm-hmm. be the leader, the, <clears throat> the one, and shaping the culture. So then when people join my church and say, hey, I've got this gift, ho, 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 well, we've got the way we do it, and that's not how we do it around here, but this is our vision, and this is how mm. we do it. I mm. think that makes a big difference for the culture of prayer in a church. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know about any of our listeners uh, out there, but I, I feel that pressing on me, Phil, so thanks for that word. Um, that's a good stretch, a good stretch for us to uh, to, to think about that. Um, and to lean into it. Um, I'm going to change direction here for uh, for a minute here. And I think one of the questions on many minds is um, you're in Kelowna. Uh, so obviously the wildfire crisis has been um, top of mind for many people. Um, at least it was uh, about a month ago or so. But uh, how did that affect your church community? Huh. Well, of course, um, the whole city was on alert and in fact this um this evening i've got the fire chief coming to speak to our men's group hmm. uh we've got hmm. all you can eat pizza evening 
for men. And uh, I happen to be the chaplain of the fire department. Right. Yes. So, um, so, you know, we have to be so thankful for the fire department in British mm. Columbia and the provincial mechanisms that kick in and work and work mm. and work. So I don't believe we had anybody in our congregation that lost us the house, mm. maybe one building. Um, a lot of people were evacuated. It was a very uh, tough and very stressful time. And I think now the real work is now beginning. Mm. And, and it was... Uh, yeah, it was a lot of praying, a lot of support. It was amazing how the church opened their homes to friends and families. It was amazing the way we got involved. We historically have been the reception center for major events, the Merry okay. Floods. Our building was used for that. Uh, I had a phone call off the fire department saying, can we move in tonight? And the answer was Yes take over mm. our building and let's go for it. They then called back and said, actually, we're going to stay where we are, but thank you. So I think for us as a church, the, the Lord whispered to me and said, the answer should always be yes. Mm. So mm. Uh, we were in a, in a yes response, yes to our neighbors, yes. But of course, where our church is, it was six miles away seven yeah. miles away and you could see it burning on that Thursday night and mm. there was fear and anxiety and it was terrible. Um, but, but it's been surprising to see how people have jumped back, how systems have got in place, support has been there. And, um, and, and I think on the general, the, where the fires hit, there were high-income houses right. and people had yeah. a lot of means. So it wasn't um, like some of the fires we've had in British Columbia with very poor communities. Yeah. A lot of resources kicked in and people seemed to manage really well. Others yeah. didn't and, and support was there and the food bank has been overwhelmed. And mm. so mm. it was an interesting dynamic and but the churches were amazing and they pulled together but the last thing the fire chief wants is a load of christians running around the place when there's a national emergency yeah. so we have yeah. to step yeah. back and pray the work is now being done through samaritan's purse that are here and other agencies that are, that are doing ash shifting and so on so yeah we're, we're yes uh it's hmm. been it wasn't as massive as the 2003, but it yeah. was it was terrifying and homes were lost. It was so sad. I think mm. about 190 structures. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Mm. So as no. you were the fire chaplain uh, during that, that time, you know, that when the crisis is at its peak, what what did that mean for you and your role? Well, my role is very much, um, you know, supportive and mm -hmm. my role is very much available for the crews and for their families. So it's very much that pastoral, although I've got a fire kit to go out 
<laughs> the last okay. thing they need is me kicking around. So it's a very supportive, encouraging role. And then now after, you know, now the work begins with 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 uh, fire people, um, members contacted me and sitting down and talking and chatting mm. things through, debriefing. They have a great system though, but you but it is traumatic. Some of them worked endlessly, mm. of course, twenty four hours. Uh, to keep the fires around away from structures in, in on our side of the lake, and mm. of course on 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 the west side. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not it's not as dynamic. American fire chaplains are a bit different from Canadian fire chaplains. Okay, they tend to chase the um, fire engine around and turn okay. up and do aftercare. But British Columbia has so many systems in place uh that we we have to find our place as a church the best way to respond and and mm. now is the time for that and that's happening yeah yeah um i noticed in the past few years you've been working on a counseling degree um it's uh, fascinating to me uh and it's very uncommon for a lead pastor of a of a large multi-site church to suddenly take up uh, counseling, um, at least the the practice of it and learning that. So can you share with our listeners, what, what was it that kind of has motivated you towards that? Yeah, I've always been interested in, 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 in freedom and healing. Mm. And we have run, you know, we do our, our, our retreats, uh, and we talk about healing because, of course, that's what Jesus said in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me to, you know, to mm-hmm. bring freedom for the poor and release of the captive. And, and yet I was finding that in society, um, the problems and the complexities have grown so much that I felt ill-equipped. And I do enjoy sitting with people. I do enjoy that conversation. And I've always enjoyed the pastor. I have lots of personal appointments, probably more than most. I love that. And I did feel that the Lord um, wanted me to step into doing a, um, uh, a master's, it's to be my second master's, but in uh, clinical counseling. Okay. And and it has changed, and because I want to see people find hope and healing and strength, and I also want to be able to understand when we talk about mental health issues, how to best respond when we know that sixty percent of our congregation suffer with mild or strong forms of depression, anxiety eating disorders, personality disorders, ADHD diagnosis, mm-hmm. autism, the list goes on. And our, our churches, I felt I had to, to step into this to really understand it, to be of value. Um, and so I'm now doing my practicum. I've got real clients. I'm in a rehab center. Mm. And I'm also... 
Um, and my day off, I do a day. I've got uh, clients there from Vancouver in the gangs, trauma counseling. I'm hmm. doing work with a Christian retreat center who specializes in counseling pastors who have uh, had trauma and burnt out and problems. So I'm um, and I, I, I'm I'm building my hours. I have to like get 150 hours. Uh, Rob, it has been enlightening and informing, and it has changed my practice and care of people hmm. utterly as a pastor. And sometimes I think, did I really say that in the past? Oh no! Oh no! Hmm. That's terrible. Hmm. <laughs> Does that communicate the heart? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, but you know, when you're a leader in a large church with multiple staff, I mean, you can't be, you can't, you don't have the capacity to be the um, the healer to every individual member of your church. I mean, that would just be impossible. You'd have a lineup for days, and and you would burn out, and you'd need a counselor yourself. So, um, you you said Uh, you've done a bit of practice of it. are, are, is there any other way that it finds its expression in your ministry? I think maybe your preaching uh, has changed as a result. Is that, you know, what's, how, how is, how is counseling finding its way into your everyday ministry now? Well, um, definitely, you know, what we call psychoeducation has affected the way that I, I view situations and deal with situations. Mm. So, and of course, it's unethical for me to do clinical counseling with my congregants in that way. Right. So I really, my role in the congregation is to be pastoral, but it's given me deeper skills to be pastoral, to be, Mm. have empathy, to, to help people find their own uh, way and to challenge their own maladjusted uh, thought patterns that are bringing distress to them. It's really, um, really helped me on that. Hmm. And, and I, my hope is that, that I'll be able to educate my congregation about ways to deal with anxiety and stress, because that's hmm. predominantly what people are experiencing in our culture within, through a Christ lens. Uh, definitely may have helped my preaching um, in terms of not being so stereotypical, not being yeah. so sweeping statements, because we, we preachers can use pop psychology and mm-hmm. so kind of you know, suddenly say, wow, you know, a divorce is bad and it shows that every child, um, you know, children brought up in a single home, uh, are 10 times more likely to do X, Y, and Z. Right. Well, okay. <laughs> but but that's not strictly true. It's uh, children experience unconditional love, even if there's one parent can grow up to have a fantastic life. And, right. and there are, so it's, you know, there's lots of misinformation and I want to help people. And, I'd love to see us have a counseling center here for hmm. for the community, for the marginalized, for the traumatized, for the poor. I'd I'd love us to step into that. And 
a senior pastor, usually mine, would be have done their doctorate. And it was a choice. Did I do my doctorate in theology, having mm-hmm. got a master? Or the question I was asking myself is, hey, I'm 58. What do retired pastors do? Yeah. And I want to be of really deep use. And I want to hang up my, as it were, senior pastor robes or whatever. And I want to step into the world of people's pain and, and, and be available and, mm. and be counseling. Most counselors give up at my age or retire. I want to begin and in my sixties and be available for people personally. I think that's my long-term mm. call as well. So oh, that's a great vision. That's a great vision. Well, Phil, I, I wonder if we could if we could end if you would take a moment and uh, give a word of encouragement to our ministry leaders. I mean, COVID was hard. We've come out of COVID. We're a year into it. Some of the people who disappeared are reemerging. Um, we're starting to see you know life emerge from the ashes of COVID in our in our local churches. But um, we see so many ch- uh, church leaders. Um, just wanting to quit and some are going to go through a career change because of uh, everything that's been going on. Um, I think a lot of our leaders need encouragement. Um, So I wondered if you could give us a final word of encouragement to uh, those ministry leaders who are out there. Well, I want to encourage my dear brothers and sisters that if, um, if they led through COVID and they've come out the other end, that first of all, you know, well done, well done. The Lord, I asked the Lord how I should respond to COVID. And the Lord said to me in that whispering moment that I needed to treat COVID as a privilege. Hmm. Uh, That I have been chosen in once in every hundred years, a group of pastors are chosen to lead the gospel through a pandemic. And I approached it that way. And and although I, I'm, we're the same, we've lost hundreds of people. Hundreds of people mm-hmm. have joined us. People that I counted on have, have disappeared. There are a lot more non-churchgoers, a lot more irregular churchgoers. It's not what it used to be. What COVID took two years to dismantle is going to take five to six years to build. For many of us, we've felt like we've been paddling downstream and things have been pretty good, but now Mm -hmm. we're paddling upstream. So I'd encourage you that in the beginning of your ministry and when you grew your churches and the things you did, uh, you you had to grow it on your knees. And I Mm. encourage us all to get back on our knees, Mm. to keep going and to... um, and if we can, see it as a, a divine privilege and calling in a post-Christian society, which has been accelerated through COVID, to be the guys and the girls to work out how we're going to do church and mission in this new yeah. context. Yeah. And and let's, let's see it as an epic adventure not the time to retire and Mm. let's keep going 
and let's start competing with each other and comparing with each other and let's minister to the people that are put in front of us and our gifts to us at this time. That's mm. what I would say. Yeah, good word. Yeah. Amen and amen, brother. Well, thank you for your time and thanks for sharing with us and uh, challenging us and inspiring us towards our knees in prayer um, and bless you and your ministry as it continues. And don't get eaten by a grizzly bear when you're out in the wild. Huh. <laughs> now that could be a whole different podcast on how many animals yeah. I've met and ran away from. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we get you back, and I hope we get you back on here, uh, let's let's talk about Thank bears. Oh, I also, All right. I've got two stories. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Yeah. Uh, oh, you know, one last question, Phil. If uh, people want to get a hold of you and want to learn, learn more about you, uh, where can they do that? Well, they can obviously go onto the website, uh, willowparkchurch.com. And um, there they can email me, pcollins at willowparkchurch.com. And or if they get on the website, if they just write me a note through the, um, you know, messenger or the information point and just say, address it to me, the front desk will always send it. I'm, I'm very accessible and happy to connect with anybody. Oh, that's so great. Thanks so much, Phil. Blessings to you. Thanks, Rob. You've been listening to the Church of the North podcast, a production of Briarcrest College and Seminary. For more information about the podcast, visit churchinthenorth.ca. To learn more about Briarcrest, visit briarcrest.ca. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard today, please share this episode with other ministry leaders. 